If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then, live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast, all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. As you guys know, I'm Tyler, and I am flying solo on today's show. Originally, this was going to be part two of our signing day recap. You know, we ran part one last week where we kind of looked at the big picture and talked about some of the defensive players in this class specifically. And in part two, our plan is to cover the offensive players, which makes up the vast majority of this 2020 class. I think it's 18 of the 25 signees in this 2020 class come on the offensive side of the ball. So that was what we were going to do today, but I was in New Orleans over the weekend running a marathon, and I was flying home on Monday, so that kind of messed up our normal recording schedule. Totally my fault, but but no worries. We're just going to move part two of the signing day recap back to the end of this week. I know that pushes it back a little later than it would ideally run, but I did want to make sure to get Curtis on that episode. But with the 2020 college baseball season opening this weekend, today we're going to turn the spotlight on the Georgia baseball program. And while it was rocky, to to put it lightly, over the course of the first four years of head coach Scott Strickland's tenure here in Athens, I mean, he went, what, a combined 104 and 119, I think, over those four seasons. We now enter year seven with with pretty high expectations. You know, the past couple years, his past two seasons, after those first four very rocky years, We've gone uh, combined to 85 and 38 over the past two seasons and actually have hosted back-to-back regionals here in Athens. And, and I know that, I do want to say this real quick, I know that Athletic Director Greg McGarity, he has been a popular whipping boy on a number of fronts, and I have certainly wielded the lash more than a few times myself when it comes to McGarity's job performance, so throw myself in there with everyone else, but... I do need, feel like I need to say this. Greg McGarity deserves a good deal of credit in this instance for sticking with Scott Strickland through four straight losing seasons to open his tenure. Uh, while more than a few of us, and I, again, I include myself here, were calling for us to cut bait and go in a different direction. And after year four, I was kind of like, man, like, is this really the guy we're going to stick with? Do we really think this guy's going to get the job done? Because we had seen no evidence to suggest that he was going to get it done. But McGarity. He allowed Strickland the time and space to build a winning program, and that's exactly what Scott Strickland has done over the past couple years. So it wasn't pretty for the first couple years, there's no doubt there, but uh, right now the product is looking pretty good, and Greg McGarity, I think, in this case at least, 
deserve some credit. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, uh, a little pat on the back there. So McGarry's patience has paid off, and now after consecutive postseason appearances as a regional host, we enter this 2020 season looking to take the next step by, I don't know, maybe actually winning one of those regionals. And and who knows, if you win a regional, you got a shot, man. Maybe even trying to make a run at a college World Series appearance, which would be a lot of fun over the course of the summer. We were upset and knocked out by Duke at home in the regional in 2018, and it was a very hot FSU team that played spoiler last season at Foley Field. So, that's what this season's about, to me at least. This season, to me, is about taking that next step. And if we're going to indeed take that next step, let's make no mistake about it, guys. It's going to begin and end with our starting pitching that I really think has a chance to be dominant. We are losing three key pieces off of a pitching staff that ended up second in the SEC with a 3-2-4 ERA. And really, like we led the league in ERA for the vast majority of the season until we had a few bumps later on this season. But uh, you know, last year we were second in the SEC with a 3.24 ERA. We were first in opponent batting average, along opponents hit a measly 200 against us as a team. Uh, we do lose Saturday starter Tony Losey, who was a power pitcher that really came on last year after finally being able to gain some consistent command of his off-speed pitches and his fastball as well. He's kind of up and down throughout his career coming into last year. But uh, he, he had a great year last year for us. He ended the season in the top 10 of the SEC in ERA with with a 2.53 ERA in the top five opponent batting average with opponents only managing to hit 168 off of him. We also lose midweek starter Tim Elliott, who was a very underrated part of our success last season. Uh, you, if you guys aren't overly familiar with college baseball, and I know a lot of you guys are, uh, but if you're not, if you're kind of new to the sport and want to kind of get more familiar with it this year, your top midweek guy, uh, you're typically your Tuesday or Wednesday starter, whenever that game is in the middle of the week, he's usually your fourth starter. And he doesn't get as much attention because usually uh, that guy's not pitching against the best competition, at least not against SEC competition. But Elliott was a stud for us in that role last year, finishing eighth in the league at a 2.53 ERA and second in the SEC in opponent batting average. I think the teams only hit 163 against him all year last year. He was a flat-out stud for us in the midweek. It was a really underrated aspect, an underrated part of what we were able to do last year, having another really good season under Scott Strickland. But as good as Losey and Elliott were for us last year, and they were phenomenal, don't get me wrong, they were absolutely phenomenal for us last year. Both guys took a huge step forward. I think our pitching staff, our starting rotation, is going to be just fine. I really believe that, even though we're losing some studs, we're going to be just fine. And I largely say that because Big Cole Wilcox, who was a consensus top 20 prospect coming out of high school last year, he showed signs late in the year of really putting it all together. He was, admittedly, he certainly was up and down early in the season. He wasn't really a fixture in the rotation like some of us were hoping that he would end up being. Uh, he had some issues with his command early on. That was the big issue. But you could see the raw talent, the big six foot five, 225, 230-pound frame, the high 90s fastball. It was all there. But he had issues with control. He walked too many batters, and he ended up with a 1-4-2 whip. Uh, but he, I will say, while it was it was a struggle at times early for him, it was encouraging to see what he was able to do as the season progressed. 
because he closed the season really strongly in his last two starts the regular season against Florida and Alabama. He won both games while only giving up four earned runs over 13 innings pitched. And really, once he settled in, he was good for us last year, especially the back half of the season. In SEC play, he was 3-1 and one with a 2.57 ERA, and he held batters to a 198 average. And now, if you take that and build off of that with a full offseason of work with our ace pitching coach, Sean Kenny, who just does an outstanding job with all of our pitchers, it's reasonable, in my estimation, to think that Wilcox can deliver on all that promise this season. Make no mistake about it. Tony Losey, like, it's pretty clear. He was clearly the better pitcher last year. I, I would say there's no doubt about that last year. But saying that, I would still maintain that Cole Wilcox has a much higher ceiling long term. I mean, if he puts together a solid year and displays better command, we are talking about a potential first round draft pick, maybe even a top 10 caliber draft pick. Losey was never in that type of conversation. He was never in that air. And sure, like, yeah, you have to admit here, we are counting on Wilcox to make a jump. And we can't be certain that he will actually make that jump. You never know for sure. But let's also not forget that Losey himself had to make a similar jump coming into last season. Losey was a spot starter his first two years who, who flashed the goods, very similar to Cole Wilcox. He flashed the goods at time his first couple years, but he could just never do it consistently to the tune of a 6-3-8 ERA as a freshman and a 4-2-8 ERA as a sophomore. But enter Sean Kenny, with the help of, of Kenny, he was able to kind of turn himself into, well, I mean, at times, I, I really believe Losey was a dominant pitcher last year. He really was. I mean, there's no doubt that he had moments where he was just, I don't want to say unhittable, but he was just a dominant power pitcher for us for most of the season. So yeah, there may be no guarantee that Wilcox will be able to step right in for Losey and deliver that sort of production. You can't guarantee that. You guys know I don't, I don't like to speak in absolutes, but I'll say this. I think it's at least reasonable to think that Wilcox can be at least close to what Losey was last year and potentially there's only the potential he can be even better than Losey was last year if he reaches closer towards that potential so I'm really really excited to see what Cole Wilcox is able to do this year in his sophomore campaign and guys this is going to be uh, our last year with Cole Wilcox very likely our last year because with his age he'll actually be draft eligible even though he's only been there's only be a second year here in Athens I think he came in last year he was 19 years old just a quirk of his birthday and when that fell and uh, he'll be able to go pro after this year so we better enjoy him while we have him, and let's just hope he is uh, much closer to all that promise this year than he was last year. But uh, very excited to see what he what he's able to bring to the table this season. And I haven't even mentioned the clear ace of the staff, Emerson Hancock, who had a truly, truly remarkable sophomore season last year. He was third in the league with a 1.99 ERA and eighth in opponent batting average. Opponents only hit 183 against him on the year. He only allowed 20 earned runs all season long. He was the real deal. There's no other way to say it. Hancock was the absolute real deal last year. He was so much fun to watch. He can touch the upper 90s with his fastball. He has an even better slider than Wilcox to pair with it. And, and Wilcox is a really good slider as well. Both guys actually have four pitches uh, at their disposal and their bag of tricks. And, and Hancock has a really good changeup that he also uses to help keep batters off balance. And, and his numbers really like... They were even better than what I read off for most of the season last year before a lot of injuries sidelined him late in the season. And he really kept him from performing anywhere near 100% in the postseason, which, let's be real, like I'm not trying to make excuses, but let's certainly be real here. That was clearly a factor in us not being able to advance to a Super Regional. When you go into the postseason like that with your ace pitcher not close to 100%, that's going to be tough to overcome. So as with Wilcox, 
you have to say there's no guarantee that Emerson's going to be better this season, but the natural and typical progression of college athletes would suggest there is a strong chance we see an even better version of him this year, which is just scary to think about if you consider how good he was last year. And even if we don't see a better version of Emerson Hancock this year, even if he is like, let's just say the exact same player that he was last year, that's okay. I might be okay with that because we're still going to, at the very least, have an elite frontline starter on our hands. But I, for one, expect Hancock to actually be even better than he was last year. And I really wouldn't be shocked if this guy ends up going somewhere in the top five of the Major League Baseball draft after this season. I really think that high of him, I think he is that good prospect. So with Emerson Hancock and Cole Wilcox as the Friday and Saturday starters, respectively, that leaves us with the third spot. And Coach Strickland has been pretty clear coming into this season that left-handed junior C.J. Smith is going to be that guy. C.J. was in the rotation for the first half of last year as that third starter. Will Proctor kind of opened the the season there in that spot, but uh, he, he went out with, the, with an injury early in the year. And CJ pretty much just took over for him after that. So he was he was really our, our third starter, our Sunday starter for the first half of the season. But he went down with a stretch reaction in his back about midway through the season. It he tried to pitch with it for a couple of weekends. It hampered him and it affected his performance for a little while before we just flat out shut him down completely late in the season. Like we, we saw that it wasn't in his best interest. He wasn't performing well, and uh, he just needed to get healthy. So all in all. He ended up with a 4.3 ERA and a 3-3 and record. He isn't quite the power pitcher that Wilcox and Hancock are, but his fastball is solid. I mean, it can reach the mid-90s. He's got a good curveball to go with it. Uh, he's a lefty, so that, that helps us there as well. A little variability in the in the starting rotation with two right-handers at the top of the rotation. You got CJ coming in as the lefty on, on Sunday. And he also, like in, in the first couple years on campus, he split time as an outfielder. And he's actually a really, really good athlete. Got some great speed, can field position very well. But he's now going to be a full-time pitcher. So I'm excited now with that focus being full-time as a pitcher. I'm excited to see what he can do. And I, and I think he will end up being a very strong option to close out the weekend. I don't think he's going to be an elite pitcher for us. I don't see that out of him. At least I haven't seen evidence to suggest he's going to be that. But I think he can be a much more than serviceable option as our third starter, our Sunday starter uh, on the weekend. So that's our pitching staff. And I, and I think that has a chance to really be as good of a weekend staff as any in the country. I mean, it's tough to find a better rotation anywhere out there in America. I'm not saying there's not one out there somewhere, but I would put our our starting rotation up there just about any other starting rotation with any team in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. My concerns, however, are with the midweek starters in the bullpen. That's where my concern lies. And maybe it's not so much concern, it's just like 
the fear of the unknown. I just don't know exactly what it's going to look like, and that might be the way to phrase it. I just really don't know who the midweek starter is going to be. And I know that I'm supposed to know these things, the host of a podcast. But if I don't know something, I try to be up front with you guys. I just don't know. I'm really not sure who Scott Strickland is going to try out there uh, as our midweek starter to open the season because we just don't really have established options to be that guy coming into this year. My guess is that he's going to give multiple guys an opportunity to see who responds and kind of maybe takes control of that spot. So it really wouldn't shock me to see a committee approach to that spot early in the season. In fact, that might actually be what I expect coming into the season. Uh, if you're looking for names to keep an eye on, the names I would watch for, uh, are really, it's it's a trio of freshmen led by hard-throwing right-hander John Cannon, who's a big dude. He checks in at six foot six, has a strong fastball. Reportedly, and I haven't seen the guy play, but from everything I hear, he's a really strong fastball, uh, has a good slider and a, and a changeup to pair with the fastball to keep batters off balance. And I, I think ideally, from what I understand, it, it seems like we would love for him to grow into that role and ultimately become that midweek guy for us. But you just have to see how he responds. You just don't know what guys come out of high school. You, you can think, you can hope, but you just don't know until they get out there and you see how these guys respond. Now, there are a couple other freshmen in contention as well. You got a guy like Will Childers and also Brandon Smith as well. It wouldn't shock me. Uh, I mentioned him a, a few minutes ago. It also wouldn't shock me to see redshirt junior Will Proctor get a shot that midweek spot because, uh, like I said earlier, he was a guy that um, was the Sunday starter to open the season last year before going down with an injury. So uh, there's a lot to figure out there. He'll have a shot. We'll just have to see how that how that plays out. I do think it's going to be a committee approach to start the season. We get have a lot of guys throw some innings and just see who kind of feels comfortable out there, who's who's mowing batters down, all that kind of thing. And hopefully by the time we're in our conference play, we have that figured out. But honestly, I just don't know how it's going to play out. I wish I could tell you, but um, I guess I'll find out just like all of you guys will find out here over the next couple of weeks. And, and the bullpen, okay, the bullpen. I got to be honest. I, I do have some concerns there. I really don't think our bullpen was great last year. I don't necessarily think that we were bad in the pin last year. I just don't think that we were great. We blew more than a couple of games out of the pin last year. And I'm just not sure how much better we're going to be this year without our closer, Aaron Shunk, and our workhorse back there, Zach Christofak. And no, Christofak was not great all of last year. He wasn't as good as I thought he would be coming in last year. I was actually expecting pretty big things from him out of the pin. He actually got shelled for the first half of the season. I mean, he was getting hit hard the first half of the season, but he, he kind of started to settle things down about midway through the year. But um, even though it wasn't the kind of year I was expecting for him last year, he was still a solid option for us out of the pin. And he ate up, at the very least, he ate up a ton of innings for us last year out of the bullpen. And uh, we don't have him this year. Uh, so that's, that's a big hole that we're going to have to fill in 2020. And I don't know who that's going to be. Like We're going to be leaning on guys like Ryan Webb, for sure. He's going to be a fixture out of the pin. Justin Glover, Will Proctor, if he doesn't end up being the midweek starter, he'll certainly factor into the bullpen as well. And I do like Ryan Webb. He's got some starting experience, and I actually think he has a chance to be pretty good. He's a lefty with a strong fastball. He's got a really good curveball as well when he's got things going, when he's really dealing out there. And he's our most experienced guy in the pin this year. And he's going to have a shot to replace Aaron Chung as our closer. I think we're going to give him that opportunity. I think we're going to give a couple guys opportunity. But I think he'll have a shot to, to prove himself in, in that role. Uh, Justin Glover is another lefty who was good for us most of last year. He finished with a 279 ERA and 29 innings pitched. He only allowed opponents to hit 158 off of him. So he'll certainly also be a, a major option for us back there as well. He's going to pitch a lot of innings for us in the pin. I have no doubt about that. And 
if they don't end up being the midweek starter, I would also look out for hard-throwing freshman John Cannon and Will Childers, those two hard-throwing freshmen. I would look for them to be potential candidates for that closer spot. I don't know if that'll be the case right out of the gate, but I think they'll get some opportunities there. Uh, but but who knows? Like I think it's going to be just like that that midweek starter spot. I think we may go with the committee approach at closer two. I would not be shocked. In fact, I might expect that early on this season. And maybe, look, maybe, very very possibly, I'm just being paranoid about the pin and kind of overreacting to some things I saw last year. I know I have a tendency to do that. I have some self-awareness there. But I just got frustrated with him last year. I did. And we're losing our two best options there. So that concerns me. We do have some experience. I got, I like guys like Justin Glover and Ryan Webb and Will Proctor. They bring us some experience there. And we do have some intriguing young talent to work with, the, guy, the, the Cannons and the Childers of the world. But... I'm at least a little concerned. I think that's fair to say. I'm at least a little concerned about how things will shake out there in the bullpen. So we'll see. That's something I'm certainly going to be watching early on this season because we're going to need those guys. But, but make no mistake about it. Despite any concerns I may have about the bullpen, this team is going to be led by its pitching, especially the starting rotation, because there are some question marks on the offensive side of the equation. And, and yes, I, th- I do think it's fair to say there are some question marks. And, and to question how we're going to be able to replace production of, of some key departures this year. But honestly, per- this is just me personally. And you can call me a homer if you want. That's fine. But I'm just trying to be real with you guys. I'm really not that worried about it. Sure, we are losing our top three hitters by average and our top three home run hitters. We're losing Aaron Shunk. We're losing John Cable. We're losing LJ Talley. Those guys were major producers for us on the offensive side of the ball last year. But that's very similar to the situation we were facing coming into last season. And what happened? Oh, that's right. We had guys step up and improve their game and uh, and just become our go-to hitters last year. Think about what we lost with that 2018 team. Think about that for a minute. We entered last season without Keegan McGovern and his 18 home runs, Michael Curry, I think he had like 13 or 14 home runs in 2018, Adam Sasser, a power-hitting first baseman, and really without Tucker Bradley too because he went out for the season, the opening series of the season as Dayton last year. So those were our top four hitters by average, and then McGovern, Curry, and Sasser, in 2018, they accounted for 41 of our team's 64 home runs. But what happened last year? Oh yeah, LJ Talley and Aaron Shunk and Tucker Maxwell and John Cable, those guys stepped up. Shunk went from three home runs in 2018 to 15 last year. Talley improved his batting average from 276 in 2018 to 332 last year from a second base position. Tucker Maxwell exploded from two home runs to 13 home runs last year. Now, sometimes I do feel like he was trying to hit the ball out of the park in that, which is a detriment of him just actually putting the ball into play. Um, but he exploded in terms of his power numbers. And, and dis- despite the loss of McGovern and Curry and Sasser from 2018, last year we actually improved most of our offensive numbers. We were up in both runs and home runs, and also we were up in slugging percentage as well versus 2018. And like Wilcox, like go back to, to Cole Wilcox as a pitcher, I can't guarantee you that all will be fine offensively because we're going to be counting on guys to take the next step and perform at a level that they have yet to perform at. And we're also going to be counting on some new faces. So I, I get there should there's at least a, some level of concern, maybe some uncertainty there, I think is the way to say it. Uh, all I'm saying is that there is a precedent in the very recent past 
to suggest that we're going to be able to replace a lot of the departing offensive production. And I don't, I don't want to say not skip a beat, but I think we're going to be okay. There's evidence to suggest that in the recent past to show that we're probably going to end up being okay offensively. It's going to be some different guys that are going to have to do it, but I think we have some candidates to do that. And, and there are a couple of guys I think can, can take the next step for us. Riley King, uh, who's going to be playing second base for us this year after playing outfield uh, all of last year, he's the first guy that comes to mind for me when you're thinking about guys going to take the next step um, on the offensive side of the ball in 2020. And his first year as a starter last year, he, he hit 295, really hit over 300 for most of the year. He had a late season slump, a, a, a little bit of a slump late in the season to drop down to 295. He ended up with eight homers and 43 RBIs, largely hitting out of the two hole. He's a good hitter. He's got a good eye. He also showed some pop in his bat. And I think he has a chance to be a double digit home run type guy for us. I'm not going to say he's make a 15 to 20 home run kind of guy. I'm not saying that, but I think he'd be a 10 to 12 home run type guy for us. And going into this opening weekend, it looks like our coaching staff feels the same way because he is slated to start in the cleanup spot in this weekend's opening series against Richmond. Now, Cam Shepard, this is another guy, and he's kind of a he's kind of an enigma of sorts in terms of his, his offensive prowess. I, I I think he's a guy that's a chance to break out offensively after being mired in almost a two-year slump. That's the only way I can describe it. It's pretty much been like a two-year slump for him, where I, th- where I think things kind of just got into his head because he hit 307 as a freshman, but he followed up with a 244 season in 2018 and 231 last year. And he might not ever be a 300 hitter again. Maybe he's going to be like a 270 type guy, but I, I think he can be that. And, and, and like King, I think he has some sneaky pop too. He hit five home runs in each of his first two seasons before hitting eight last season. No, I don't see him just exploding and be like a, a 320, 330 hit or anything like that. But I think he can get up in the 270 to 280 range and hit between eight to 10 home runs. And if he can do that, that increase in his production will really help us out offensively. Uh, he's probably not going to be hitting the leadoff spot this year where, where he was really for the first two and a half years. We moved him out of that spot. He just wasn't getting on base last year. Uh, but I think he'll probably be hitting in the top part of the line, probably the number two hole if I had to guess to open this season. Another name to watch would be Connor Tate. He didn't get a ton of opportunities last season. I think he only had like 74 at-bats, but I liked what I saw from him. I think he has another guy that, that has some power potential. He's going to be fighting for a spot in the outfield, or he may serve as the designated hitter, but I do think he's going to be in the lineup one way or another. I think he's a guy that, while he hasn't had a ton of opportunities, can actually uh, end up being a pretty good hitter for us and being a threat for us offensively this season. And, uh, and one guy I'm really excited about getting back, I mentioned him a few minutes ago, is Tucker Bradley, who, who basically missed the entire season last year with a shoulder injury. Uh, he went out in the first series against Dayton, and uh, they were, they were, we we're kind of talking about what we're, we're going to go ahead and, and have him do surgery now, and he'll be out for the season. We're going to try to manage it, and we just went ahead, and he had surgery, had the procedure, and he was out for the year. But going back to 2018, he hit 299 that year. He's probably going to end up playing right field for us this season. He's a guy to watch this year. He's one of those veteran presences to have in the lineup and a guy that's played a lot of baseball for us. I'm really, really excited to have him back here in his redshirt junior season. I think, he, I think he's a guy who can hit over 300 for us and be – uh, a big benefit to our to our offensive fortunes. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm also really intrigued by outfielder Ben Anderson, 
who's a he's a transfer from Furman where he earned all American honors. I think he had, it was 361. He had a 361 average as a freshman at, at Furman. And uh, he'll likely end up hitting leadoff for us, and, and apparently he can run. I have not seen him play, so this is just me looking at numbers, looking at his stats. But he had seven triples as a freshman at Furman, and he had a 530 slugging percentage, which would have been good for second on our team last year. And I know that's not against SEC pitching. I do get that. I want to put that out there. But still, impressive nonetheless. Looks like he's going to be a good player for us. I'm really excited to see what he can bring to the table. I think him, along with a guy like Randon Jernigan, who we're going to get to in a second, will allow us to, to even if we might not have the, uh, the, the the power numbers that we had last year, I think we may maybe be a little bit more aggressive on the base pass this year, do some hit and run type stuff, and just be a little bit more more aggressive out there offensively, which can maybe help us win some of those one-run games. So those happen at times in the ACC. You need, to, you need to find a way to win those games, and having guys like that in the lineup can certainly help you do that. So very excited to see what he brings to our offense this season. Now, at third base, replacing Aaron Schunk, that's going to be tough. He had a huge year for us last year, but it appears as though Juco transfer Garrett Blaylock, he's going to get the first crack at it. Now, Blaylock, he originally started at Vanderbilt a couple years back before transferring out, and, and he projects to be a, a middle-of-the-lineup hitter somewhere, probably in the five or six hole. I certainly do not expect him to step in right away in equal Shunk's 2019 numbers because, as I said just a second ago, Shunk had a killer 2019 year. But but if, if Blaylock can give us between 7 to 10 home runs this year, that would certainly at least soften the blow of losing a guy like Aaron Shunk at third base. At first base... Uh, Patrick Sullivan is almost certainly going to be the guy that gets uh, the start there. He's a, he's a really, really good defensive first base. And I'm talking like really, really good. He only had two errors all of last year. So he he is elite in the field. But he just hasn't been anything more than an average hitter so far. Uh, he hit 263 last year, three home runs. And, and maybe he can be that guy that breaks out. I'm not saying he can't be. I just haven't seen much evidence from him to suggest that he's going to be that guy. But I do think he can be like a solid 275-ish hitter with five or so home runs. And if he can improve his numbers to that point, then I, even though, again, we might not have the one or two guys that are just hitting balls out of the park all over the, the field, that will certainly help our offensive numbers and offensive production as a whole if he can just increase his numbers a little bit uh, as well. And then in center field, we have the speedster, Mr. Speed, Randon Jernigan, who is still very, very much, very much a work in progress at the plate. But man... Can that dude fly? He had 11 stolen bases in 14 attempts last season. And offensively, like really, he has nowhere to go but up at the plate. He's probably going to hit in the nine hole, but I'll say this. He's still got a lot to, lot to improve on as a hitter. But if he can get on base, watch out. The guy is electric on base. You pair him with a guy like Ben Anderson, and I think we can do some some interesting things on the base pass this year. So that can be fun to watch. It can be exciting. It's a little different style of baseball. And then finally at catcher, we're going to have a platoon of sorts with Mason Meadows and Shane Marshall. Neither guy has really done much at the plate to this point in their career. Uh, I would say Marshall did have the better average last year. And, and to be fair to Mason Meadows, he did foul a ball off his face early in the season. And some of you guys, I'm sure, saw the picture. Uh, it was bad, man. He was in the hospital. It, it, it looked really, really rough. Uh, he missed some time and uh, we didn't know if he was when or if he was going to come back. He did end up coming back and missed a couple of weeks, but uh, he really wasn't the same after that. And, and maybe had nothing to do with, with the foul ball of his face. I don't know. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. But it is, it is something that happened. Uh, so maybe there's some correlation there. But regardless, he had a woeful 181 at the plate last season and 122 at-bats. And, uh, man, like talk about like Rand Jernigan, there's nowhere to go but up. There's nowhere to go but up for Meadows. I think, I think Meadows is a better hitter than that. He does have some power potential. Um, but... 
right now, based on what I've seen from Marshall and Meadows, any offense we get from that position, position is, is just gravy right now. Again, I do think Meadows is better than 181. I think, I think he's going to hit probably you know, the 230 to 250 range is what I would expect this season. But again, like that's what I'm talking about. If we can just get guys that were that didn't perform that well offensively last year, hitting the 180 range, the 260 range, if they can all just improve the numbers by you know 10 to 20 points offensively, then all around, we're going to be better than we were last year if we can just have those guys take that next step, like we saw from guys like Aaron Shunk and LJ Talley last year. So, uh, yeah, we are losing a lot of offensive production from that 2019 team. There's no doubt about that. I'm not trying to blow smoke or anything like that. I get it. We're losing some players. But my thing is, we've seen this story before because we said all the same things coming to last year, but we actually improved offensively. We're going to be counting on guys to take the next step and improve their numbers. I, I get that. But I think there are plenty of candidates to do just that, namely guys like Riley King and Tucker Bradley and Cam Shepard and Connor Tate. And defensively, this team looks to be another strong unit. We finished second in the SEC and set a school record for fielding percentage at 980 last year. And despite his struggles at the plate, you got to give Cam Shepard some, some credit here. A lot of times, these guys, when they're struggling at the plate, they let it get in their head. It seeps into their defensive play. But Shepard never let that happen. He is the headliner on the fielding front for us. He was awarded the Rollins Gold Glove Award, given to the nation's top shortstop last year. So he uh, he is an elite defensive shortstop. And, of course, we've also got Patrick Sullivan, as I mentioned a, a few minutes ago. He's excellent with the glove at first base. Only two errors on the year last year. And then uh, Bradley and Jernigan have great range in the outfield. So, like, I'm not going to say that we're going to put the exact same numbers. That we're going to set another school record defensively. But I, I also would say it's not out of the question because we have a lot of the key pieces to that school record 980 fielding percentage last year back this year. So uh, I think we're going to be really, really good defensively just like we were last year. And ultimately, if you think about it, I think this team sets up to be a lot like last year's team. We're going to lean on pitching and we're going to lean on defense. And I'm okay with that. In the college game, if you have two dominant starters like we very well could have in Hancock and Wilcox, you're going to be very tough to win a series against. And once you get into the postseason, all bets are off. You become very, very tough if you've got two frontline stars like that, two potential aces, co-aces if you want to call them that, in Hancock and Wilcox. And we don't know if Wilcox can be that guy. I'm Hopefully he can be that guy, but we do know that Emerson Hancock can be that guy because he was that guy last year. So if we can get Wilcox to that, that next step and become maybe a second co-ace on this staff, uh, we could be pretty dangerous. And, and while we might not have that one dominant hitter, we do have a bunch of guys who I think are going to take a step, hit around 300, hit 7 to 10 home runs. And if our pitching and defense are as good as they should be, that should be enough for us to not just host another regional this season, but finally win our first one under Scott Strickland. And who knows, man, maybe maybe make a run at a College World Series appearance. That'd be a lot of fun over the course of this summer. It's been a minute for us. I think since, what, 2008, that was the last time we made the College World Series? I want to say yes. And when we almost won it all against uh, Fresno State, God, that still stings. That sucks. But uh, that'd be a, a fun way to kind of uh, end the offseason with a run of the College World Series. And look, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, guys. 
I, I'm just saying I think the potential is there when you've got the frontline stars like we look to have. You've got elite defense like we look to have. And I think we have some candidates that can that can do some things offensively and, and really be just as productive offensively as we were last year. I think we have the guys to do that. So it should be a lot of fun. The season opens this weekend at home against Richmond. The And, it's, and there's a lot of excitement around the baseball program right now. It's one of the reasons I want to do this show today. We are a consensus top 10 team entering the 2020 season. Coming off of a season where we earned the number four overall national seed last year. Yeah, I know we got knocked out at home in the regional, but we still got the number four national seed a year after getting the number eight national seed. So we've got some momentum in this program right now. We have more people going to Foley Field than any year since 2009 last year. Season tickets are already sold out for the first time, and I don't know how long. So a ton of momentum. Uh, single game tickets are still available, so if you want to come up and enjoy a game over the weekend, come on up. The weather should, might be raining, but it's supposed to be warm-ish, for at least for February. So uh, but come on out and support this team this year. I think you have a chance to have another great season and just build on the success of the past couple of years. But that's it for me here today on the Glory UGA Podcast. Want to get a little baseball talk in and preview this season. I think it's a chance to be a good one. Uh, Curtis and I will be back later this week with part two of our signing day recap. Yeah, I know it's a little bit late, but I was out of town this weekend and just wanted to make sure we got Curtis on that episode as well. So be looking forward to that later on this week. So I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.